0: Welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm very happy to welcome Fiona Walker, who is here to talk about her new book, Woman of a Certain Rage, written under her nom de plume of Georgie Hall. Welcome, Fiona.
1: Hello, Emma. Good to be here.
0: Thank you. So you have several books already under your belt as Fiona Walker. What made you decide to to write this one under a different name?
1: Uh, I think I've written... 18, 19, I'm not going to forget now, books that are big cast romps. And they started in the 90s. Um, they were very London based and they were sort of all about the, the, the girls falling in love and, and trying to get jobs and working their way up the career ladder. And they, they've, they've worked their way into middle age. My readers have got older with me. But I wanted to do something where the central character stood out more. The big cast books you tend to find it's very ensemble and no one story always pops. In fact, that's part of what you're trying to achieve is is to have a balance of of many character stories within a whole world. And what I wanted with Women of a Certain Rage was to focus on something that I was experiencing and many of my friends, but I couldn't find in fiction, mm. which is that sort of invisibility and, and particularly the, the menopause. And I felt it would be lost if I put it in one of my my big books. Um, And I also felt, I suppose myself as a writer, you you do feel after that many books, you're getting a bit invisible. You know, you're kind of, you know, I try and make everyone original, everyone different, always new ideas and fresh ideas, but you become a bit of a brand. And again, I wanted, there was me, I hit 50 and I wanted to do something different. So I like the idea of having a different name and a different identity as a writer, and I know other writers who've done it, and it's a very, it's a liberating feeling, and and you come up with a slightly different voice, which again is is wonderful when you're you you sort of at a point in life where it's nice to try something new.
0: Yeah, so I I, I guess the next question was going to be, you know, how much of um, how much of you is in Eliza in the in the sort of your main protagonist in terms of the you you talk a lot about of you know, her experiences of going through sort of menopausal symptoms, perimenopausal symptoms, is that very much kind of written from from your
1: perspective? I would say it all characters always, my main characters, are a sort of anthology of myself and other people I speak with and research I do. And I think every fictional book, particularly modern commercial women's fiction that I write, would would have a degree of of autobiography we do steal from our own worlds no doubt about it and that adds the authenticity and relatability in and I I would not want to deny readers that truth but my truth is only one and I found when I started writing it and I I started saying to friends and to professional women I work with in the publishing industry I'm writing a book where the, the character is menopausal everybody's story was different. I thought it would be almost a uniting story. And it is in the sense everyone went, wow, that's wonderful. Gosh, we've been waiting for this. We need this. But also (laughs) it was surprisingly divisive that everybody had a different story and actually got quite heated about the fact that their story wasn't like my story. So what I tried to do was find a mid-ground where I balanced, you know, what I felt would be a, a point where a lot of readers would relate without making it too intimately personal but I, I'm not afraid to go and punch some some bags that aren't kind of normally shown so yeah there's there's a, a lot of me in there but there's a an awful lot of other people as well and I'm yeah. grateful to them for sharing because it is a difficult thing to talk about
0: it is and, and actually you know it, I think that echoes a lot of what I've found in terms of you know, finding out more about perimenopause menopause is just how unique to a woman or to a person that that kind of collection of experiences and symptoms can be you know we we obviously we we see the sort of the tropes about people being hot and bothered and and you know absolutely
1: (laughs) The sort of, uh, the cliche you come into it with is the hot flush and, and the thick middle and the the thinning hair and the bad temper and all those are collectively true on many levels, but there's so much more to it. And I think what I hadn't taken into account is how much of a psychological journey it is and, and the feelings of anxiety and depression and uncertainty and, Particularly that that 3 a.m. club where we're all, we're all lying. There's nothing as lonely as lying awake <laughs> in the early hours of the morning, working your way through things you're never going to do, things you did wrong, things you might have failed your children on or your failure. You know, all those things that just whirl sort of uncheckered at that point. And we're all trying to talk ourselves off that cliff in a very quiet, private way. And it's quite difficult then to unpack that again during daylight because we get and we go god thank god that's gone and you don't really want to sit around talking about it a lot you don't
0: have time you're probably running around exactly we are (laughs) making sure everyone else is all
1: right (laughs) and you're knackered because you spent half the night in your whirling dervish brain place and and so it is quite it is a place you want I wanted very deliberately when I set out this book to make it funny and I made it funny for a reason because laughter is a a very universal language to all of us but women's laughter I think is is one of the warmest most reassuring places to be and also I think that with laughter comes a truth that you can't sometimes access or acknowledge because it's so dark I mean it's that graveside humor sometimes that you actually really need to find the truth through the laughter and I certainly wasn't laughing myself sleep at three in the morning but I can look back at some of the some of the places I went and the things I thought I think crikey what dark part of my brain took me there you know
0: (laughs) and you talk um you talk in the book about eliza being in that sandwich generation that i'm sure many of us know all too well you know we're being pulled in both directions by sort of elderly parents on the one hand who need us and our kids on the other who just because they're getting older don't stop needing us for those of us who who do have kids and yeah how do you kind of carve out time for yourself when you need it, it's almost like this is the time of life when you need it the most and you potentially have the most
1: demands on you. Absolutely, you get the least of it. It, it is it is extraordinary. I mean, it is partly a modern phenomena, but I think it's it has happened time in I remember my own mother juggling my grandmother who had Alzheimer's, us doing A-levels, the estrogen cream was in the fridge. You know, it, it's not that different. Maybe we talk about it more. And I was one of those mothers that ha- I put mine out one off the other, just before I was 40. So now they're just early, early secondary school years. And my parents, I mean, my, my darling dad actually died quite a long time ago, but my mum was very, very ill and she died two years ago. And we were dealing with her terminal illness. And we were dealing with, um, one of my daughters is, is on the spectrum. And we had the whole challenge of the education system and trying to get the right path for her. And and I do, I remember going to the end of the garden and just screaming. Is it any wonder <laughs> we feel like a frog in boiling water? Absolutely, absolutely. And and yet I still would stop and go. Do you know, I've I've got pretty good life compared to. So also it's that check your privilege, which we're told increasingly to do, and particularly as middle aged women. That's the other thing is if we've been Karen, obviously by this 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 <laughs> label that we have, uh, and and. I am aware that, that you do, one of the things that comes with middle age is a confidence and, and there's almost a a sort of shouting down of women who, who get more, you get more confident, and you get less time and it can, I think all the cliches about being a fishwife and being difficult and being, and all those awful words, which which Eliza in the very beginning of the book, she's called something very unpleasant by um, a road raging driver and she starts <laughs> contemplating all the awful things that are made, that, that women are called, particularly after 40. And, and it seems very unfair that not only do you have less time and you sort of start, and I don't want to whinge, but they're also called very unpleasant things and thought of as a bit a bit abrasive and difficult and prickly. Yeah. They want to put um, us back in our boxes. Absolutely. <laughs> so I I think it needs um yeah, that box needs unpacking and it needs and we need to say, actually we're not we're not so bad, but but it is a tricky part of life to navigate, no doubt about it. And the fact we're thrown in with all these hormonal kind of symptoms it seems doubly tough really. When you're,
0: you're writing and kind of getting into um, inhabiting the characters in the book did you very much feel that you kind of had this symbiotic relationship with Eliza were you kind of feeling very sort of tender towards her and kind of a bit protective as she was going through all of this kind of Maelstrom with her marriage? and I,
1: I, I got quite annoyed with her sometimes because because by <laughs> the very nature, when you're writing, and particularly when you're writing a kind of domestic drama, you have to create conflict. And, and with conflict comes misunderstandings. And, and she does some goofy things. But then I did some very goofy things throughout my entire life, particularly middle age. So uh, yeah, I did. I grew more fond of her as I got on. At first, I think... I was so focused on the rage and the anger I wanted her to be really angry and I think she almost became my spokes <laughs> all the things that I'd done my plight British or couldn't saying say nothing. I went, <laughs> and you know that whole thing you want to go back a year later and do it and say all the right things I thought well I've got Eliza and I unleashed her into the Midlands having a go all the road raging drivers and all the kind of people in the theatre that annoyed her and and I had to go rein it back because actually the first draft and well, the first 10,000 words, when I shared it with my agent, she said, well, I get it, but she's very, very angry. You know, she's like, you don't, do you want to read about a woman this angry? And I thought, well, yeah, perhaps not. It's got so, to be a bit likable. Yes, absolutely. But it comes, you know, every book with rewriting gets more life and gets gets more depth and gets more kindness. I think you have to kind of get it off your chest. And then... Yeah, put, plant the plant the flowers around it.
0: So her, uh, yeah, I think it will probably be very you know, recognisable to to many. That feeling of you know having been married for a, for a long period of time and then trying to figure out you know whether it a relationship that has just lost its spark or kind of run its course or is it perimenopause? Is it going to get better? How yeah how how do we kind of navigate this? tricky situation and uh and obviously that you know there is a point in the book where she probably thinks like that that she has lost her husband and you know won't talk too much about what happens there. But yeah, I think it's it's very kind of relatable that uh
1: well, I was surprised how many women seek divorce. I think is the highest percentage of women going out and seeking divorce are it during what's called the menopause years. Yeah. And a lot of it is because the children fledge and off they go and sort of finally well, there's a combination of things. Finally, you perhaps feel that you are able to admit these truths about a relationship that has not been working for years and years and you no longer have to work as a functioning parental couple in the same way at, in a home. I mean, you'll never stop being parents. But mm-hmm. also there's that um, element that, yeah, you, you want freedom. And uh, there's a part in the book where one of, one of, I think it's Eliza's sister says, well, all men want is sex and food. Let's face it, that's kind <laughs> of quite basic, particularly after 40 and and women want so much more, particularly after forty. And you, what part of that three in the morning lying awake frustration is you think I want to do so much more. You start to feel your life closing in. You start to feel the second half of your life is is constantly being foreshortened because you're moving towards the end as opposed to moving towards the middle. And and you have all these things you want to achieve. And and are you really achieving them in this long term relationship which has become very functional but perhaps quite dissatisfying? And I put Eliza in the middle of that, although I don't think it's just a book about long-term relationships at all I wanted her to be in a very long-term relationship where she had first met Paddy in in the 90s you know in her in her 20s when she was just so you know, And she didn't she had lived she'd had a bit of a wild time but nothing compared to perhaps the because the, you don't realize the span of your life this great arch going forward and she's been a mother and a, a, um, a working mother for the best part of 22 years I think and is reaching that point where she is questioning quite how much, where, where she goes when the children do leave home and how much more she can give into this relationship where uh, one of the, another thing that's very common, of course, with, with uh, not just with long marriages and with, with menopause is this libido that's dropped through the floor. And meanwhile, the paranoia has risen up to high levels. So she's, you know, and, and the world, the male gaze has turned from her to her daughter and somehow you become more aware of it and, and you you become very distrusting of it. And by virtue, she's therefore distrusting partly of her husband and, and what he's really thinking and the fact that he's quite repressed, he's quite a kind of, he's one of those. And I think I know many men who are like it, who just simply find it very hard Mm. to express their opinions and their emotions and their feelings, and particularly going into middle age themselves. You know, we forget that, 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 the embarrassment is on all sides of, of these sort of sagging, uh, and then the perception of how we, we are. So whilst on the outside, we look at long term marriages and go, wow, you know, aren't they amazing still together and still friends and still adoring each other? Internally, those marriages can be very, can feel very lonely. And, and that's something I wanted to look into.
0: Yeah, especially if, as you say, the, you know, those lines of communication maybe haven't been great it's very difficult to break out of those patterns and you know Absolutely. you know there's all this stuff that needs to be unpacked and kind of talked about and, and kind of aired but if you're just not in the habit of having you know if you're not in that kind of relationship yeah. it can really kind of cause things to to fracture if if
1: you know you don't somehow figure out how to yeah you go years and years and years realizing you have talked more about how to load the dishwasher and what cycle to wash things on and who's going to pick up so and so than you have ever talked about your emotions um and you know you might not have had intimate you know physical contact even a, a proper kiss or a cuddle for months on end but you've loaded the dishwasher together every night and that there's a there's a balance that goes wrong and it becomes easier to talk about the minutiae and the practical than it, it becomes to talk about the dissatisfaction you might feel um, or the fear, because there's another thing that that we don't account for is how frightened people can be in long-term relationships. We, and, and and you can feel comforted, but at the same time, it is this, the, the, we're all sort of, um, yeah, sort of huddling on the edge of something. <laughs> Who, who's going to go first? Who's going to yeah. be the one to crack Absolutely. and say, actually, yes. And the who's going to go first is also built into the point at which, and we talked about the sandwich generation, where you start to lose your parents. And again, it makes you very vulnerable as an adult. You're kind of next one. So not only can you not who's going to go next in terms of conversation, but it's also you are aware of sort of clunking up to the highest level of of being the oldest in your family and feeling very vulnerable. And I know that I'm typical with my other half, That we spend a lot of time comparing aches, and we are very competitive about it. And uh, you know, who's got the (laughs) worst? Moved on from who's the most (laughs) tired when you've got small children. I'm more tired than you, no, my aching. So we'll whinge at each other about something that aches, and then the next thing we're quietly googling whether it's terminal. (laughs) To sort of work out to compare. We we are super competitive. Yes, the groans in the morning is not passion anymore. It's sort of trying to get out of bed and straighten up.
0: (laughs) But as you say, you know, you you make taking the seeing the comedy in that kind of helps us to to deal with it and also yeah we are we, everyone is is kind of dealing with with very similar sort of situations so we you know Absolutely. we shouldn't feel like we're the only ones going
1: through this maelstrom of <laughs> and it is only a part of our lives so we don't have to f- I think that's the other thing this whole thing about being a grumpy old woman or grumpy if we just acknowledge it and say, we've got loads of other stuff going on, but we do have to acknowledge that this is part of, you know, middle uh, middle years. And it should be a sort of funny, acknowledged and not embarrassing part. And I think this is particularly true of menopause, that we see it as so undignified. Mm. We see it as something embarrassing, something that's a loss. And if we were just more universally accepting of it as a process, you know, as another Like teenage, puberty, yeah, coming, exactly. out, coming out of
0: that adolescence and then you've got Absolutely. something to look forward to on the other yes. side exactly (laughs) and yeah it's perfectly normal and all of us well most of the the vast majority of us are are kind of going to be going through it at, at, at some point so yeah I I, I definitely uh, I, re- I really enjoyed the book I'm definitely uh, nodding along in a few places I think particularly uh, one of the vignettes uh, Eliza is sort of fed up at being co-opted into doing cricket teas and sort of <laughs> unceremoniously <laughs> dumps some raisins and some crackers on a plate and sort of hightails it off and, and I'm sure many of us have been in those situations where just oh for God's sake, you know, how did I get into this? And so I think, yeah, definitely uh, being able to to say no to things is a, a middle-aged superpower that I would like to embrace a bit
1: more. Yes. Well, that's the other. It's, like I say, some of it was wish fulfillment, reliving moments <laughs> where I've done that and thought. No, I really. And actually, as you go through, you do get better at it, I'm sure. And I, I have found myself stronger. And Eliza, in a funny way, has made me stronger because it's almost like and I, I think there's this degree of social storytelling where and I'm aware of this as, as a mother of a, um, a child with autism, that if you if you put it into a story, it is so much easier for all of us to understand. Mm-hmm. And it's why, you know, if we watch something on television that's relatable as a story, we sort of go, wow. And, and it's it's such an addictive process. And I think the thing with the mid-years and menopause is where it's often put in. And, and there are very good self-help books, incredibly good. And there's memoirs. But actual fictional storytelling that involves characters in midlife and particularly menopausal women is so rare unless there's some psycho in a, a chick noir and she's probably <laughs> living next door and going to murder you or your husband where well, I wanted a really sympathetic character in this in this situation and I, that relatability at the moment is so important i think in and particularly with the year the the year or two we've been through to be able to connect with a character in fiction i find i I went through a phase early on in sort of the lockdown process where i found reading really hard which is so unusual for me i'm a complete bookworm and i just found that that old suspension of disbelief i just found it impossible to go you know life's already a dystopian sort of dark (laughs) drama how could and i didn't want to read anything escapist i could and i ended up reading books i'd read 20 years ago um, because I found that the safest place to be. The comfort but of you, exactly. you know
0: what's going to happen in the end. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and also nostalgia, because you do get to, you do start to live your life a bit backwards when you, you, you you want to go back and find those places that were happy places and relive those moments. But I have recently, well not recently, but this year I have absolutely gunned back into reading and found it one of the most comforting places and 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 um, new books and new fiction. and. And that relatability thing, I think, is really riding high because what I've been looking for are books that—they're not all full of fifty-year-old women living in Warwickshire, but you know, the, the, there's always something in there that I can connect to and say, oh, "This is going to pull me through" because I feel like I'm—I'm I'm in a safe place here. And I think that's—that's that's a really lovely place to be with books. That—that that idea that yes, you—you—you've been there or you recognize the situation—and with. Eliza I wanted her she has lots of little opinionated asides it's a, it's told in very short sections the book and again I wanted it to be a book that for those who are struggling with 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 concentration be that because they're <laughs> menopausal or be that because of the current world or life being so busy that you can just read a tiny little bit and and it's all self-contained and then you can shut it and I wanted also to mix up the narrative like the the story of what's going through um her life and her marriage and her parents and her kids and this misunderstanding she finds herself at the (laughs) centre of and also just what you know all of us this universal language she has these little sides whether it's ranting about Alexa misunderstanding what she's saying or recycling or whether it's more something deeper and more important like her daughter talking to her about the, very relevant the 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 sexual bullying in schools um or being ignored at one point there's a um, she has an encounter with a man who just completely and utterly ignores her whilst completely focusing on her daughter and that realizing that you just vanished to some, yeah, some the invisibility cloak exactly <laughs> but then at another point she's terribly grateful that the male case has moved on and she's she's such a liberated relief that she doesn't have to be judged by it and we're all quite conflicted like that isn't there's no one straightforward way of looking at all this I think I wanted to keep turning it around in her head
0: yeah definitely I think for me it's it kind of flips between from a sort of a body image thing so you know do mm-hmm. I embrace the way that my body is now or do mm-hmm. I try and change it and if I'm trying to change it am I kind of fighting against the inevitable (laughs) you know it's so hard to know kind of you know which is the the sort of the right tack to take because obviously on the one hand I want to be sort of healthy and fit Mm -hmm. but on the other hand I also you know want to yeah there's part of me that just kind of wants to embrace that this is a perfectly kind of normal process and that body is changing and that's Fine, and you know we're doing all of that under the kind of the the sort of the the lenses of social media, and as you say, that kind of the male gaze, and and kind of what is expected of us as women is that you know we don't get lines, or if we do get lines, we're going to go and spend a shed load of money on a, an eye cream Absolutely. to to get rid of the lines. And
1: yes, yeah, so I read a quite oh, it was a quite a sort of disturbing article about Hollywood doesn't do menopause. You know, there is just there isn't anything marking that moment in Hollywood and um, there was quite an interesting um, interview I think with Sally Phillips the actress who said that she goes and plays mothers and sisters in Hollywood and she's actually older no she's younger sorry than than (laughs) so she's now 50 something but because she hasn't had a load of plastic surgery she is cast as 70 and the women who are 70 are cast as 50 because they've had lots of plastic it's terribly terribly wow. messed up and this this projection of this huge perfect sort of female image from instagram to tiktok to whatever it is terribly disturbing it's disturbing for me as a mother of teenage daughters and it's very disturbing for me as a large <laughs> middle-aged woman who once was her teenage daughters image you know and, and yeah I think you're right we live this and I think we just have to accept there's a conflict we have to accept there's a conflict we will look at the Daily Mail sidebar of shame and hate ourselves (laughs) for a brief period of time and then we will also look at the empowered wonderful kind of women around us and we will still dance around the kitchen to dance monkey all however many stone of us moving at different times in times of the music and you you have to we can be both. Things. You can be both. And you, yeah, you can you can take that conflict with you and also be comforted by the fact that you and I share it. And we are one of so many million women who share that. We Yeah, we, we, you still get up each day and throw your clothes on and put a bit of lippy on. You don't give up just because <laughs> we're not exactly that perfect image.
0: But I think there is. Uh, yeah, again, that there's also something, as you say, quite liberating about kind of coming out the other side and the sort of giving many fewer f words about you know what 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 people might or might not think about us and having that sort of
1: i always remember that poem and I, I can't accredit who wrote it but it was the the one about when I'm old I'll wear purple and a hat that doesn't suit me <laughs> and I heard that first when I was very young and I still liked it. it quite made me look forward to being old and I've always admired older women and I think that helps as well if you've had strong role models in your life women I mean my mother was amazing and 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 um garrulous and entertaining to the end and had this wonderful plethora of of friends and they had come out the other side. And it's something that I put in the book. And, and Eliza's mother says to her more than once, they can't talk about menopause. So they try. They go, they go around they the garden together, around Her, mo- her <laughs> mother ca- only can talk about brittle nails, darling. And yes, my hair got a bit thin, but she really can't go down the kind of the nitty gritty of the things that really are bothering Eliza. And, um, and yet what she can do and reassure her constantly is out the other side is a good place yeah. and I've heard this so many times and I wouldn't say I'm out the other side yet but I'd say I'm an awful lot closer to the exit and I'm aware of it I'm aware of this feeling of almost floating up because I think the other thing with these sort of midlife and, and, and particularly menopause is, is you're not aware or I wasn't most of us are taken by surprise we're not told enough about it we're not mm. prepared for it we are constantly fobbed off with the fact we're either depressed or have an overactive thyroid or are just hysterical so you don't really know you're going there and my daughter, who was doing this whole thing at school about uh, puberty and whatever, and I said, "Do you ever learn anything about menopause? You didn't even know what it was." I don't want to horrify her at twelve or thirteen with the truth of it, but I, I was—I went through life really very ignorant. I believe and it I is think going it's going
0: to be on the curriculum, though.
1: Um, it is, now, and isn't it's it? good, and I'm—I'm I'm so pleased because I think it's part of this demystify. But but what for many of our generation, and I'm sure previous ones, is we didn't realize how far in we were until you're almost you're underwater by the time you're really aware and then that coming out the other side becomes so lovely because it, it it's just yes that sort of feeling constantly of just being a bit better and a bit better and a bit calmer and a bit happier is is wonderful it's, can't beat it can't be too. but i
0: do hope that as that generation that are perhaps going through their teenagehood now by the time they get there things will be so much different and you know we will this kind of cohort that does seem to be normalizing menopause and talking about it more and destigmatizing it will have you know all that work will have been done and and that for them it will be a very very different experience and, and much
1: more supported. I, I'm sure of it I think it will happen I think they have a tough time and when we're reading about it seeing it only this week that the things we thought this generation would be the most free and liberated of women and actually the the opposite is happening in in childhood but let's keep focused on the idea that as they get older and with with age comes that um liberation of mind and liberation of body let's hope and I totally I think by the time they get to this middle age point I mean, we probably won't be alive to see it unless I could keep going into my dotage but I would love to feel that, that what little bits that and I'm a tiny little bit in just fictionalizing part of it but there's been so much work going on and so much recognition I can't think that it will fail to be better we may not have closed the gender pay gap by that point but you know we, <laughs> we can dream <laughs> absolutely brick at a time brick at a time
0: Oh, Fiona, thank you so much. It's, it's been a real joy talking to you. The book is out on the 8th of July. Yes, available in all good independent bookstores and probably the A-words that shall not be named
1: <laughs> if yes, that's where you been, get your book. There's an audio book as well, which I gather is very good. So Woman of a Certain Age, Georgie Hall, but I can't remember who's reading it, but she's brilliant and very funny. So it's worth looking that out as well. Because if you're like me, I like listening to quite a lot of books now.
0: You didn't fancy recording the audiobook yourself?
1: I recorded my last Fiona Walker one. So I didn't want to record ah, the Georgie one. Okay. And also, Eliza is a actress who has disappeared from the, the gate and and has become a narrator of books. Um, so I felt it would <laughs> Slightly be... Slightly saucy books. Saucy books, yes. Saucy <laughs> books, yes, yes. Books. She, she reads naughty books. Um, <laughs> but and, so I, I had actually the idea for it came because I had recorded so I, I knew the experience of being of recording and I also knew the horrors of having to speak in about 10 different accents in one scene and I thought right I'll let someone else do this one and she's done a fantastic job and and yeah because Eliza is a professional actress and narrator I thought I, that would be a bit cheeky for me to have a go at that.
0: Wonderful well it, yeah it, it was a fantastically funny relatable read um, I didn't notice actually as I was reading through it that you were saying about you know making it into the sort of the short digestible chapters oh. I think just because I was enjoying it so much, I, I kind of romped straight through it. So I think my that part, master plan
1: was demo that <laughs>
0: <laughs> So thank you very much for, for coming and joining us on the podcast. A pleasure. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified no. when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com sign up to my newsletter as well i do hope you enjoyed listening today if you did i'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed hope you can join us next time goodbye for now